0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. One of the most misquoted passages of Scripture is from what we just heard from St. Paul in Philippians, chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. By all things, the Apostle has in mind something quite different from what most people might interpret the words. It is that he can be content. This is what he means by all things. That's how he speaks of being content with what he has. He calls it the ability to do all things. And it's remarkable because he describes of all things, of all virtues, the most passive. In fact, it is the capacity to receive as things come. He says this is being able to do all things. Letting riches come, letting riches go. Letting reputation shine or be tarnished. Letting hunger be satisfied or remain unsatisfied. Being totally passive in all things. And yet yet not simply checking out in some nothing really matters nihilistic type of way. But remaining confident toward God. Believing that he loves you. Knowing that he who owns all things causes all things to work together for your good, and indeed says that all things belong to you. To know that he will distribute them when he sees fit, as is best for your faith. This, St. Paul calls doing. Being able to do. Being able to do everything. And it's true. It's not just true in some psychological way. Of course, much could be said about this. Be anxious for nothing. Well, what good does it do to be anxious? Even Jesus appeals to reality. Whether or not you know or believe that God governs all things, he appeals to this in order to drive home how silly it is to to worry. Who can become taller or richer by worrying? I can't add anything. Any life coach or counselor can tell you that when you're anxious and worried about things you can't control, you just have to slow down. If you're so consumed by what you lack or by what you stand in danger of losing, and this is what it means to be anxious, if you give in to this worry that robs you of your joy, well, you'll only lose sight of the forest for the trees. You'll be so focused. And what you're missing out on that you won't even be able to direct your attention to what might be right in front of you, to what you might be standing ready to gain at any moment. It's really a matter of pers- perspective and, and positive thinking. Now, this is the psychological approach, and we can appeal to it, I suppose. There's some wisdom in it. By wisdom, by calling it earthly wisdom, doesn't mean that we're saying it's bad. It works. It does what it's supposed to do. If you follow this advice, you'll be able to do. You'll be less less paralyzed, and you'll see results. So don't be anxious, the world says. And it sounds like the world agrees with Jesus. Don't be anxious. It's stupid. It doesn't do anything. But instead, count your losses, direct your attention to your opportunities ahead. Well, fine. It's... Perfectly good advice, and if you receive it, you should take it. Amputate what is dying and put your efforts into what looks promising. Don't cry over what's lost, but invest in what you have. It's great advice. But this isn't what Jesus was teaching in Matthew 6 or Luke 12, soon after our gospel lesson. It's not what he's teaching us, and it's not what St. Paul tells us either. He does not give us a program for changing poverty into riches or hunger into satisfaction or shame into glory. The goal that St. Paul gives is not to find sometime in the future your better life. No more than he tells us to resign ourselves to being helplessly deprived of good things and to find some peace in it as as though that were where we found peace in some separate from earthly things sort of way. No, he boasts in something greater. Total passivity, which includes the ability to receive what one lacks from from lacks even if God so wills it. He boasts in God who gives him both good and evil things. He boasts in God who is good to him and who can be trusted to discern what is best for him at all times. He boasts that he has something better than what a shift in focus might attain. He has what no doing on earth will ever attain. He has peace with, blood, with God through the blood of Jesus. And so he tells us not to be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So consider the perspective he has. Consider what he encourages us to have. He's telling us to tell God what we want. This is the logical conclusion. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, tell God what you want. He's not telling us to reorganize our anxious thoughts. He's not telling us to set realistic goals. He's telling us, as St. Peter also said, to cast all your cares on God who cares for you. Tell God what you want. Bother him. Tell him what you want and leave it there. Remind him. Tell him what you want with thanksgiving for what he's given to you. Because you're telling him who's given you everything. Or how how else will you learn to be grateful for what you have than by recounting to God who provided it to you everything that you still want. Tell him what you don't have. Not that he doesn't know already but because he wants to hear it. He doesn't cause you to wander in the wilderness so that he might discover what is in your heart, but so that he might know what is in your heart. That is, so that you might discover what God has already known and had mercy on, and so that you might see in what he provides you and what he teaches you, what he gives to you, what God knows about you. And so that you might discover, and believe, and be reminded, often that there is nothing in you that you can appeal to when begging to God for what you desire. He who gave you your life and breath, food and drink, house and home, spouse, child, whatever else you have received so passively from his immense generosity and kindness. This God of ours gave it not because that's all he wants to give. Now quit asking. You know, he gave it because he wants us to believe that he stands ready and willing to give more. Way more. So ask him. He wants to hear you recount what is troubling you and what you need and what sorrow you have. He wants to hear it. He wants to hear you ask what you asked for before but never got. He wants to hear the size of your heavy heart as you recount to him all the things that you lack and that you would like to have. St. Paul tells us to do this with thanksgiving. That is, ask for what you don't have and ask for what you don't deserve. Not as a child demanding, but as a, a, a child asking who trusts his Father and who knows that his greatest power, ability, is to receive. And this gets to the point we started with. Our greatest ability is in our reception our passivity, our dependence on God who gives. We are children of God through faith in Jesus. Our Father is the one who owns all things. He gave his dearest possession, which was his beloved Son from eternity, to purchase and win us from hell, from eternal separation, both from all earthly and spiritual joys and pleasures, as well as from the source of them, which is himself. He sent his son to suffer all wrath against all sin, both hidden and brought to light against all that would ever give God any cause ever to say no to you. Jesus came and suffered hell in your place. He suffered every denial from God so that in him, God's answer to you is always yes. This is the passivity that can do all things. It is the passivity that has purchased the world. To know this, to have received the peace that surpasses all understanding that our hearts cannot contain, to have this peace guarding your minds in Christ Jesus, guarding you from within and from without, from despair, doubt, and anxiety, and emboldening you to ask and keep asking for what you desire, to never think it's pointless, to know that God is reconciled to you and stands always above you as a tender father who pities and loves you, This is being able to do all things. This is true power, even when worldly wisdom can offer no more than the promise of renewing and sparking your inner potential. Your potential isn't found within you. It is found in God who loved you and saved you from your sin and who even now promises that there is nothing in you Again, there is nothing in you or against you that can prevent you from receiving his favor and blessing. Because whatever you regret, God forgives, and whatever you lack, God will teach you to go without until he decides you shouldn't anymore. Even if the world shares nothing with you, even if you never do pull yourself up and live out your golden years in ease and success, or get the employment or the wife, or the health that seems more and more out of reach as the years pass by, even as you retain or you remain sighing and praying for what your earthly life has lacked till the day you die, yet you have peace with God and you have His command to keep asking with thanksgiving for what you don't yet have to enjoy. And all things that belong to God when we die and go to heaven will not only finally be ours forever, and no one will be able to threaten or take away or tell us to share it because we'll all have it in common. Not only this, but we will finally see that even while we lived here, they were already ours, even as the Canaanite heathen were enjoying it while we wandered through the wilderness. Even when we lack control and enjoyment of the things that, th- that fill this earth, yet we take possession of them by believing God when he says that they work outside of our control for our everlasting blessedness. Or why should we grieve when the wicked enjoy the good things of the earth and we don't? What conversation will we have with our soul to console ourselves? The world has mere exhaust and smoke. We own and know the God who supplies all life with what it needs. We have Jesus, for whose sake the wheat ripens and the rains moisten the earth. We have the ability to ask, not with the things we're asking for at the center of our mind, but to ask with the giver of all good things at the center of our mind. We see his yes, not in the things that we end up getting. We see his yes in what we already have. His invitation to ask what we may never see this side of heaven, Here is our power. Here is our ability to do all things, to suffer and to be refreshed, to lose and have our losses restored. For we have peace with God. It doesn't just su- surpass human understanding. This peace surpasses all understanding. Even the angels don't get it. They marvel that we who wallow in such a wicked world, who must contend with such a weight of sin, who have such weakness in ourselves that we still lift our heads in joy and confidence that they can't fathom. Such shallow vessels we are, and God chose our human nature to fill with the fullness of the Godhead. This mystery can only begin to be grasped by faith in the mercy we need. The angels see us lift our hearts to God in trust, and it mystifies them. This confidence eludes them this pure trust in God towards sinners who never shake their sin or conquer their weakness. What immense strength God implants within us who hunger and weary, that we confide in God who loves us for Jesus' sake. The angels can't wrap their minds around it, but it's ours. And they rejoice with heavenly elation to see what God has made us capable of. Our sins have been borne by God himself. We have something in common with God that angels don't. God shares our flesh and blood. He knows our hunger and misery, and he knows the guilt of our hearts. He knows it better than we do. And it is for his sake that we are invited to ask his father as our father for everything that is his. And for this, we also have this in common with God, that as from eternity, he has loved the son. So into eternity, we now love him. We know him. For Jesus' sake, we trust him because we are clothed and fed in his righteousness. We are honored so highly to know that whether we live or die, whether we have or lose, we are heirs of more than the angels can boast of. We are heirs of more than barns can hold. We are heirs of more than our hearts can hold. But the more we are given, the more that pours out, and we never lose. Right after Jesus tells us, St. Paul tells us to pray. He tells us to meditate. This should be the goal of your prayings to think about God's word. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any other virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Don't treat prayer like something to get out of the way so that you can carry on with worrying. Think about God. Think about what he says you are, what he says is yours. And ask for all of these things. See among these things, more than among the things that all flesh needs and gets in the proper time, more than among the things that perish with the use, more than among those things that the rich and powerful enjoy and rub in your face with no thought to who gave it and why. See among these higher things what God never fails for a moment to give you. You may lack bread for a while, and God will still feed you. Your car may not run for a while, but you'll still get where you need to go. You may be lonely, but God will never leave you. Consider what it is that you lack most. Look and listen and receive what God freely gives you in Christ his son, and you will learn to desire what he promises most. It is eternal life and a good conscience by which you can enjoy all that he provides. And you can truly enjoy it. And you can say to your soul, eat, drink, and be merry. Because your soul has learned the exceedingly higher value of God's forgiveness and peace in Christ. And your soul knows the joy you're talking about because your soul knows Jesus. Because he offered himself as a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma that turned God's anger away from us forever. We know God's love, and so we're able to walk in love Knowing that of greater value than any gift or thanks we give, God doesn't need what we have to feed the poor, to care for widows, or even to console anyone in his poverty or hunger. He feeds the birds, he feeds the whole world, and he feeds us. No greater, of greater value than any gift or even thanks we give is the reason we give thanks, and the reason God accepts it and the reason we can enjoy every good thing he gives us with joy and gratitude. He receives all we offer in thanks as a sweet-smelling aroma, because we ourselves are pleasing for the sake of Jesus. And we take every bite, whether we're consciously thinking of it or not. We receive every holiday, every meal, whether we're consciously remembering it or not. We receive it for the sake of Jesus. And so we meditate on him. For his sake, we have all that we have. And for his sake, we share it with one another. For his sake, we give thanks. And for his sake, God is pleased when we do. For his sake, God is pleased with us. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace that surpasses all understanding shall guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.